We've seen the bumper sticker, don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. We've watched the cartoons where a robed wing figure with a halo appears on one shoulder to encourage your character to be good, and a red horn figure with a pitchfork appears on the other shoulder to try to influence the same character to be bad. Some of us have even seen the terrifying depictions from Hollywood's imagination of demonic possession and activity, and also the fantastical depictions of angels and the heavenly realm. But how much of this is fiction, and how much is fact? When you read the Bible, what does it describe about these beings, and what do the individuals who actually encountered them have to say? What about demons? Can you see demons? Or summon demons? Does everybody have a guardian angel, or is that just something we made up? And if you're listening to this podcast by yourself, late at night, in the dark, is this going to be scary? Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast. My name is Josh. I am joined by my co-host and wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, amazing friend, buddy, partner in crime, co-host, and everything in between, Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Um, doing really well. I had a good couple weeks, and um, yeah, it seems like I'm getting a, a promotion here. If I, if I act like, you know... A victim where you, you just made me your associate a couple episodes ago, and then, and then I... <laughs> I'm then just I trying good. to honor you, you know? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Because Jesus said that if we if we humble ourselves... He said something about the first being last and stuff like that, so yeah. I'm just... I'm yeah. trying to be first in the kingdom of heaven, really, that's wow. what this is about. So. This is ulterior motives. I just want a bigger house than you in heaven. That's wow. what this is about, so... Wow. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck with yeah. that. <laughs> well, we... Uh, want to apologize for the horrendous technical issues that we had on the last episode, but everybody was exceptionally gracious. So thank you guys for um, listening nonetheless, and thank you for your, your kind and insightful comments and feedback on that. That was a pretty difficult topic, to say the least, but I appreciate you guys being gracious on that. And uh, hopefully today we won't experience the same kind of technical issues that we did in the last episode. So... Um, yeah. 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 And Gabe, you're not actually where you typically are. You're right now you're you're on location in Lakeland, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, on location. I'm at I'm at my mother's house. We're on uh we're on we're taking kind of a road trip as a family right now, so nice. um, we're traveling around different spots in Florida, but one of the places yeah, we're we're hitting is is uh our old stomping grounds in Lakeland, Florida where, where my mom still owns a house and lives. Yeah. So do you want to give the full address, zip code, and uh, her social security code out as well while we're yeah. talking about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 1000 Longfellow Boulevard. <laughs> uh, Gabe and I went to college right outside the window from where you're podcasting from right now. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Those were the good I, days. I tell my parents they, um, they, they couldn't take the empty, empty nest syndrome, and they, they actually, when I moved away to college my, my senior year, they found a house right across the street from the college where I was about to graduate from, and they bought a house and then moved to this area um, shortly after I graduated. So it was kind of funny. They kind of followed us down to this yeah. area. But... Good, good then, times were had on that campus, my friend. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember I'm looking at the lake 
out uh, in front of me right now where mm-hmm. we used to take inflatable rafts in the middle of the night and <laughs> g- gator infested lake we used to take these little inflatable rafts we we'd go to walmart and buy these little things these flimsy little rafts and we would float out in the middle of this lake with like a paddle you know and i remember i had this little um this little mp3 player i would sit there and listen to music laying on this inflatable raft in the middle of gator infested lake mm. um at night and um I remember that I think one of our roommates had a hole in his. He he um maybe maybe <laughs> was that he, Ryan or Brent? Which one was I think that? it was Brent. Brent maybe punched okay. a little hole in his by accident out in the middle of this lake. And it was late at night and uh I remember he was frantically bailing water and trying to get back to shore <laughs> before his raft deflated. So yeah, I'm well, staring when at that you're, lake right now. When you're in gator infested waters, it seems like uh it's crucial to have a, a raft that's actually functional. So Yeah. 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 One of the things I remember about our time at Southeastern University was in 2004, there was a hurricane that came through and you grew up in Florida and all of the other guys in our dorm suite did not grow up in Florida. So we'd never really been in a hurricane before. Mm. And so I remember the power went out in the middle of the night and it was like six or seven o'clock in the morning when the eye of the hurricane mm-hmm. came through and we're all like hunkered down like, oh, gosh. What's going to happen? You know, we've never been in a hurricane. And then I hear a knock on the window, and then you're outside in the hurricane. You're like, come on, boys. <laughs> and then, like a bunch of idiots, all four of us went out <clears throat> and we ran around in 70 mile an hour gale force winds. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hanging onto a tree because when the yeah. dust would come through, it would actually knock your feet out from under you. And, um, and like a bunch of buffoons, we thought it was funny and we thought it was entertaining. Um, and then we watched trees and debris get picked up and thrown around like toothpicks slamming into the side of buildings. And we were like, ha, 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 how cool. Not once thinking, hey, if that tree slammed into the side of a building, it could probably slam into the side of me. Yeah. yeah. So, our, our guardian angels were working overtime that day. I'm sure. Hey, nice segue. <laughs> nice segue. Thank 10 you. out of 10, A+. Plus. So, as Gabe mentioned, we're talking about angels demons and the unseen realm a very interesting topic to say the least a a very um i think um sometimes mishandled and misunderstood topic gabe how have you seen this topic handled or maybe taught on in christian circles or church circles or theological circles well it seems like you always have two ends of the spectrum right and those two ends of the spectrum are usually the vocal ends of the spectrum you have people who overemphasize the place of angels and demons in their lives. You know, like there's an angel on every street corner that's hitchhiking or there's a demon, you know, on every city's water tower hovering over it, waiting to inflict, you know, demonic oppression on every town, yeah. whatever the case may be. But then you have people who downplay it completely and um, and don't really put a lot of emphasis on, on angelic or demonic interactions with humans. So, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it's important we strike a balance between the two. Yeah, I think that's what C.S. Lewis said. He said there are two equal and opposite errors that one can take when dealing with the devils. The one is to have an unhealthy obsession with them, and the other is to deny mm-hmm. their existence altogether. Yeah. So I, I think I've seen a little bit of both. Um, what kind of maybe misconceptions or misunderstandings do you think maybe some people have had with this topic when it comes to, uh, to mm-hmm. the angelic, the demonic, and, and this unseen realm we're talking about? Well, definitely um, one. I was actually reading a storybook to my boys last night as we were drifting off asleep, 
Um, but one is that we all are assigned a unique personal guardian angel. And another one I would say is that when we die, we become angels. I think those are some yes. very big misconceptions um, in that angels float around with wings or shoot bow and arrows or whatever the case may be. Um, those are, <laughs> Tom, you know, those Tom are some, and Jerry heaven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah and I, I think I've seen that too. I, I've definitely, uh, it seems like in the South when somebody passes away, People turn into soft universalists where everybody, you know, Papaw goes to that great old stock pond in the sky and he's fishing for catfish with his Papaw. And, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and then everybody turns into angels, which is very interesting to me because nowhere in the Bible do we have anything that tells us that would happen to us as we die. But I, I think a good place to start in tackling this topic is maybe going to what the Bible says um, angels no, actually no, are no no no, no. <laughs> you just want to yeah let's just talk about what we think doesn't matter what the bible says right yeah uh, you've been on facebook too much uh here we go so who are angels or what are angels so um a good verse to start off with if you're interested in this topic <clears throat> colossians 116 and uh i'm gonna read it because unlike gabe i actually have my bible in front of me um so just kidding. Gabe always has his Bible in front of him. Colossians 1.16. Here we go. It says this about Jesus. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and by him. And so along with both that verse and then other places, like in the book of Psalms, Psalm 148, verse 2 says, Praise him, all you angels, and you host. And verse 5 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. What we see is that angels are created, finite beings. So they're not like us in the sense that they are different in some of their characteristics, but they are like us in the fact that they are uh, created. So, Gabe, when when would this have happened? When we look at the creation narrative, yeah. Well, that's a good question. There there isn't a whole lot of conclusive evidence within Scripture as to when they were created exactly. But Jewish tradition actually holds that they were created uh, on the second day of creation, and you know that could be hmm. taken figuratively, that could be taken you know metaphorically, but. Um, that they that they predate the creation of man. That, that that's I think we're supposed to gather that much, and that seems evident in Scripture is that they predate the creation of man, and um, and you know it seems like there was some sort of division division or fall of a large group of angels, um, and they you know, they expressed their free will. They decided to rebel against God prior to the creation of man as well. But um, correct me if I'm wrong. That seems that seems to be the case. Yeah, well, we know that from Genesis 3, you know, we see that Satan shows up in the garden. So Satan would have had to have been created and then also rebel yeah. before he shows up in the garden in Genesis 3. And it seems like when Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the Jewish understanding of that verse would have been that it was not just the earth and everything in it that he created, but also the heavens and everything mm-hmm. in it. So that would have been the heavenly hosts heavenly hosts yeah and actually when he says you know let us make man they consulted the tradition holds that they consulted angelic beings let us make man in our image interesting um 
and that's that's kind of the mindset. But yeah, I don't, I don't whether or not it's true. It's kind of yeah, because up, up, up for grabs. But yeah, the other side of that is some people say that that's in reference to the Trinity: Father, Son, yeah. Holy Spirit. Let us create man in our image. And others say no, he was consulting the the host. Either way, I think it's safe to say in that first part of Genesis that God created the angelic world before humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So angels are physical beings. So Hebrews 1.14 calls them ministering spirits. So it seems as though they don't have physical bodies like we do. Um, however, we most often see them in Scripture appearing in physical form. Mm-hmm. So they appear to look like uh, men. We don't really see them being described as looking like women, but again, we're going to talk about their sexuality here in a little bit, talk about how um, what Jesus has to say about their sexuality. But they appear in a physical form, um, but the Bible says that they're ministering spirits. So that's an interesting one, too. Yeah. Yeah, the first place we see this happening, actually, is um, as early as Genesis 18, we see these three... What's interesting about Genesis 18, too, it calls them, it says, three anoshim, which calls them, it calls them men, yeah. visited Abraham, and we don't get the idea that they are angels until Genesis eighteen sixteen, when these two angels, at Hebrew it uses Malachim, uh, they, they're trying to rescue Lot and his family. They stay back hmm. in Sodom and Gomorrah. But these three men, it turns out one of them actually happens to be the the creator actually happens to be God and Abraham is talking to him conversing with him it calls him the Lord several times and then the other two it calls Malachim so um you know they it's it's assumed that they're angels but yeah it seems like they take on human form and there's numerous times where we see this this um individual called the Malak uh, Adonai or the angel yes. of the Lord yes um, that's a fascinating topic in and of itself yeah, yeah. So you follow that thread through the angel of the Lord. That could be a, a what we call um, Christophany, an early mm-hmm. representation, early manifestation of Christ. Um, or it could be an angel that um, is the supreme messenger of God. But yeah, there's definitely there's there's this ability that angels have to go from the spiritual into the physical and interact with the physical world, whereas we're unable to do that. We're pretty much yeah. stuck in this physical realm. But yeah, that's, that's and isn't it true. is it safe to kind of say that we don't really have a tremendous amount of clarity about exactly how that works from the biblical narrative? And here's what I mean by that: Genesis six, and we talked about this in our episode where we talked about uh, the Book of Enoch and the Nephilim. We see that the sons of men, that's, this, these would be angels, mm-hmm. saw that the daughters of women were attractive and, and comely, and and the text basically says that they had sexual intercourse with them. Yeah. So yeah, that's the, son, the sons that's, of yeah the bene bene Elohim the sons of God looked sons on the of God yeah of sorry yeah, yeah they looked on the daughters of men and saw that they were beautiful yeah and they they decided to go down to them and yeah that's that's um that's in the book of Genesis it's it's in the book of Enoch it gives us more detail in the book of Enoch yeah that, yeah they they produce an actual physical race called the Nephilim um, and then you know the book of Enoch states that when Nephil the Nephilim would die that they their disembodied spirits are what we would now call demons. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's an interesting and, and I think that may be one of those just just puzzles that, you know, on this mm-hmm. side of eternity we can 
you know, almost speculate and, you know, you don't want to read too in between the lines of exactly how that works, but it would seem like angels and the angelic class, and we'll talk about demons here in a minute, they don't have physical bodies, but they can appear in physical forms and apparently interact in the physical world. Exactly how that works, we're not quite sure, but Genesis 6 gives us an example of, you know, maybe how that worked a little bit in that instance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Michael Landon did it in Highway to Heaven. I mean, <laughs> that's on Netflix, by the way. I watched oh, that during our during our media fast. I was looking for Christian movies, and I was like, "Hey, Highway to Heaven, that's a great, great uh, show." Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I totally just dropped that. No, that's totally fine. That's good. That's a that's a very biblically accurate. Beautiful angels. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful feathered hair, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did uh, you know he was a chain smoker? He smoked like three packs a day. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, we're talking about the same guy, right? the dad from Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was an angel that smoked a lot of cigarettes, apparently. So. Wow. But uh, a stressful job, I mean. Yeah, being, being an angel must lead you to want to light one up every now and again. Anyway, so angels are spiritual beings, but angels are also um, personal beings in that the Bible describes them as having emotions. Genesis, uh, excuse me, not Genesis, Luke 15.10, Jesus says the angels rejoice... Anytime a sinner um, repents, First uh, Peter one twelve talks about them having um, intellect and almost describing them having curiosity. It talks about that they are things in which angels long to look. So they have emotions, they have an intellect, and they also have a will. Because Second Peter two four tells us that angels are capable of sinning. Mm. So in one sense, they're not like us in that they are primarily spiritual beings. But in another sense, they are like us in that they have emotions, uh, they have curiosity, they have intellect, and they have a will. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and I think that does a, a lot of um, a lot of us may think of angels as automatons, almost like mm-hmm. they're robotic and they don't feel and they don't really think and they don't have a free will. But that's not really the picture that we get in Scripture which is a really interesting distinction to think through. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, angels are part of an innumerable host. The book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 10, calls it myriads of angels. Um, it's interesting. This is an interesting topic. Jesus refers to their immortality and their sexuality in Matthew 22 and in Luke 20. So I'm going to flip to Matthew 22 and talk about it. You remember this story of the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection coming to Jesus and yeah. giving him this weird trumped-up story about, you know, this guy dies and... <clears throat> yeah, and whose uh, who's wife will she be? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're basically trying to show the ridiculousness of the resurrection. That was kind of their point, right? They're, they're not really interested in knowing about the resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're just trying to describe it as being ridiculous. But then Jesus gives an interesting comeback. He says um, about humanity in verse 30, he says, In the resurrection, they, this is people, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So there's apparently not marriage in the kingdom and in the resurrection. But he says this, They are like the angels in heaven. And so apparently the angels in heaven 
do not marry, and they're not given to marriage. Hmm. And then if you look at a parallel account of this in, in Luke 20, Jesus says something very similar in Luke's gospel, but then he adds something to uh, this concept. Um, in verse 36, he says, um, They neither marry nor are they given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they're equal to angels. And so apparently angels have immortality, and apparently angels don't procreate, hmm. which is an interesting concept. Um, if they don't procreate, do they have sexuality like we have sexuality? And then you got to think through Genesis 6, right? Where apparently they did have some sort of sexuality because they uh, sinned and procreated with the uh, humans in Genesis 6. What do you think about that? Solve that riddle for me, if you will, Gabe. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It seems like far as I can tell, just doing a kind of like a cursory survey of all the interactions with angels in the Bible, so especially the seven archangels, which we might talk about in a little bit, um, they all take on male qualities. Um, and yeah, that's that's interesting. Something I never really thought about is that they they all do seem to display male qualities. They're, they're spoken of using male language. Um, mm. And yeah, like you said, when they do come down, they don't, it's not like, oh, the women angels went and procreated with men and the men angels went and procreated with women it's these angels saw the daughters of man and took them to be you know and took and had children with them so that's interesting yeah and and here's another thing to think about just because the bible only describes um angels as taking the form of men that does not necessarily mm -hmm. mean that they also can't take the form of women right right yeah, I think that I think they can interact with the physical realm. I think they're because they're outside of physical space and time. It seems like they could probably manifest in various forms. But I, I'm no expert. I've never met a female angel before, but I've never met a male angel either. So I don't. I can't say with certainty. Yeah. Interesting. Well, apparently the the Bible describes them as uh, visually stunning and glorious. Um, the Book of Daniel describes angels as being absolutely um, overwhelming when, when an angel is presented in its full form. Spiritually, the book of Ezekiel describes it that way. Uh, the book of Revelation, obviously, if you read through the book of Revelation, mm -hmm. John's descriptions of angels. There's one part in the book of Revelation, I'm, I'm trying to remember which chapter, there's an angel that is apparently so visually stunning that John falls down and tries to worship the angel. And the angel looks at John and says, no, don't do that. I'm just a servant of God like you are. Get up. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You see that a lot, especially if Joshua falls down. You know, a lot of people, one of their first reactions to seeing an angel is, number one, fear, and then, and then worship. Um, and they, they just kind of hit the deck. Because I think there's, a, there's an aspect of glory that's attached to angels. Um, they carry yeah. a part of God's glory with them. Glory it's an interesting word. We don't really know what glory means in English, but if you pull that into the Hebrew, glory is kavod, which literally means heavy or weighty. So when you see people interact with God's kavod, his glory, one of the first things they do is they, they stop standing up straight. They actually will go prostrate because it's, it's literally, it's heavy. And, um, and I've experienced that, you know, when you, when you come under the weight of your sin or you come under God, you know, a portion of God's glory. Um, one of the one of the reactions, our physical reactions that we do is we usually will we'll, we'll have to hit the deck. We'll lay down in repentance or sorrow. 
Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, show that confession of our sin. But and that's really interesting to think through how angels, because they're in the presence of God, almost carry that glory with them. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, like they're like, like rechargeable batteries almost when you're in that yeah. presence. It's like you, you do that. That's really interesting. I think that probably says something about us carrying the Spirit of God with us as well, but interesting. Angels also have different roles. There's different levels of authority. Gabe, you mentioned earlier archangels. Mm-hmm. So the book of Daniel and Ezekiel and Luke mentions an archangel. I think he kind of has a dumb name. His name is Gabriel. Um, what does that name mean, by the way? Uh, Gavri means uh, like um, it comes from the word Gabor, which is like a hero or a warrior. And El mm-hmm. is the short name for Elohim, God. So it's Gav- Gavri El, um, uh, a warrior for God, basically. And Interesting. Mi- Mikael um, is Michael, and it's Mi- Mika means who is like or what is like El. So what is like God or who is like God. Interesting. And then Raphael, Rafa means to heal, and El is God. So um, it'd be the healer of God. So you see these angels have these names, but all their names mean something. But the, all their names point back to Elohim, to God. Right. So so you mentioned, okay, so we see Gabriel and Daniel, Ezekiel, and Luke. We see Michael and Daniel, Jude, and Revelation. Where do mm-hmm. we see Raphael? Do we see him in the biblical narrative, or is that just tradition? We see him in rabbinic literature, and also um, we see Raphael, um, I believe in Daniel. No, no, I take that back. Maybe in Tobit. In Enoch, we see oh, okay. Raphael. So that's but a... definitely, he's all throughout rabbinic literature, early, early rabbinic literature. We oh, okay. see Raphael. Gotcha. Um, Interesting. We see, we, we you also, also see him in the sewers in New York City. He's the one that's, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a little bit rude. He likes pizza and he has nunchucks and he's a little yeah. bit rude. But anyway, Raphael, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can keep going after that. <laughs> but <laughs> so no, far, so we've done Michael Landon and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Michelangelo. But we have we have Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, Kamael, Yofiel, and Zadkiel, and those are the seven archangels that are mentioned. And like you said, archangels are mentioned as as this superior form of angels. Um, they're they're kind of the seven princes, um, as Daniel calls them. Daniel ten, I think, calls them the great prince, the great princes. Um, it calls them the Hasarim Roshni, Roshnim, the head princes, hmm. which is an interesting terminology. So it's but almost that, like they're commanders of the yeah, armies of yeah. God, or exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're the seven, the seven great princes, the seven great angels, and we've given them that term, archangels. Um, but it actually corresponds to Revelation uh, chapter eight, verse two through six. Let me go there real quick and. Um, because I would have, I would have thought you had it memorized by now, but disappointed. You know, Revelation eight. Um, okay. Because it, it, it's easy to just kind of dismiss this concept of seven archangels, but when you read Revelation eight, it says, "When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them." So there is this concept within the book of Revelation of seven angels who stand before God. And what, what are they standing before God for? They're standing there waiting for orders so that they can go and disseminate those orders to the heavenly hosts, the heavenly armies that go and wage war against, you know, the, the principalities of darkness. Because Interesting. 
there's there's absolutely a war going on in the unseen realm right now, and mm. um, you know when we see um, I think it's Daniel who um, who who talks to is it Michael he talks to I could I could have this wrong he, yeah he talks to Michael and he talks to Gabriel as well um, yeah and they say that they were delayed right because they were mm-hmm, they were they, they were in warfare yeah and that's an interesting thing too I think sometimes we don't think about you know we don't think about the warfare aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. We don't think about right now, there is a war going on for every soul in humanity. There is a, mm. there is a kingdom of darkness that wants that soul and wants to take that soul to hell with it because that's where it's going. Yeah. And there is a kingdom of light that wants that soul to encounter the salvation that's found in Jesus. And so those forces are around us all the time. And it's a matter of sometimes us being aware of that and seeing that and understanding what the Bible actually says about that. And that's an interesting thing to think through. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you have this whole other class of these angelic beings called a cheruv. And we see them, um, the first time we ever see a, uh, that's where we get the word cherub from. It's a, hmm. bad, trans, it's a bad transliteration of the Hebrew word cheruv which um, literally means the one who bears a sword. Interesting. Um, and the first time we ever see this is in Genesis 3.24, where these cheruvim, these, these cherubs, are stationed outside of the Garden of Eden, and they have a sword. They're bearing a sword. And then we see them again later in Exodus. They are stationed on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And then they're also sewn into the tapestry that is... Um, forms the interior walls of the tabernacle, hmm. which, you know, it's supposed to remind the worshiper as they're entering the tabernacle that they're entering a uh, replica of the Garden of Eden because there's a tree, there's a menorah, which represents a tree. There's, you know, there's an Ark of the Covenant, which would contain the presence and the the um, the, the cheruv, which is guarding that. But yeah, it's supposed to mimic this entering into the Garden of Eden, entering in the presence again. So and, the um, so the chair of them would have been what we see on the ark, right? Right. right. And those would and have been in the garden in Genesis three, mm-hmm. and in the temple. Yeah. And then yeah. there's another class called the seraphim, and we see yeah. those appearing in the Book of Revelation and in the Book of Ezekiel. Um, some scholars believe the four living creatures that John is describing are the same as Ezekiel is describing, his vision of the throne room. Yeah. Or is it Ezekiel or Isaiah? I think it's Isaiah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I think it's what's Isaiah. interesting, though, yeah, Isaiah 6, yeah. Yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's, that's right, Isaiah 6, um, where the seraphim are, are flying around the throne of God saying, Kadosh, 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 which means holy, holy, holy. And they're just constantly flying around the throne of God, telling him and proclaiming that he is utterly unique and transcendent of all gods, of all the heavenly hosts. He is wow. he is the head honcho. And that's all they do. I think that's really interesting. And there's actually, um, within Jewish liturgical prayer, um, there's a prayer that we say, um, that we say, uh, we repeat that, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Um, and we, we say that along with them is the idea that, that um, and you know, there's that song, holy, 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 Never that's heard where it. all that comes from is we're, we're, we're repeating the seraphim, but the seraphim, um, 
I actually have heard that song, by the way. Just I was so (laughs) people are gonna email you. (laughs) I can't believe you don't know the hymns. Yeah. No, and I think that's such an interesting thing that when we worship down here on earth, what we're doing is actually joining the host of heaven that is surrounding the throne room of God, singing the the praise and the worship and the holiness, the the kadesh, which, like you were saying, that that means different, set apart, unlike anything else in all of the cosmos is god the seraphim if i'm not mistaken they the, it comes to the word seraph which means um like a burning one yeah which is interesting but the there's actually I, I learned this when i was in israel last september there's actually an apache helicopter unit that they they're called the seraphim i think it's really neat they and the, interesting. the patch that they wear on their uniform is the seraphim um which they don't i don't know if they connect it to the biblical seraphim but it's the flaming ones, the ones that bring destruction, and that's what an Apache helicopter does. It's a, it's an attack helicopter, but it's really cool. And I, I took a picture of the unit patch that says Seraphim on it. Interesting. That's crazy. So it's different. It's, it's interesting to think through that not all angels are the exact same. Right. That God has created angels in this realm to play different roles, to have differing levels of authority, to do different things. We see that there's a. Another understanding of angels in the biblical narrative, Hebrews 1.14 that we've talked about earlier, that verse says that they are ministering spirits, that they minister to the people of God. Um, There is an interesting verse that Jesus quotes. I'm going to look it up. Matthew 18.10. And he talks about not despising any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Mm. So, this is what's interesting. I think because we have tried so hard in evangelical Christianity to be biblically accurate and to have biblical clarity, we have maybe just dismissed this whole idea of guardian angels and this little fat chubby cherub that follows you around and we just said, (laughs) that's all hogwash, that doesn't exist in the Bible. But in doing that, it seems like maybe we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater because Jesus seems to insinuate in Matthew 18.10 that the little ones that he's talking about, they have angels assigned to them hmm. that see the face of the Father in heaven. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's almost like they're, they're going back and forth or something. It's like they, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know if that, that means that they're just like following these little ones around everywhere, making sure that they, you know, there's a, there's a fascinating story. Um, my, my in-laws tell me about, um, it's actually a golden retriever and my brother-in-law and how my brother-in-law was real young and he wandered out of the house, maybe really early in the morning. I could be watching the story. And at that time they lived on a body of water and, um, it was like, a, it was like a seawall. He was on the ocean or something, and the, the seawall dropped off, and it, it goes down to like pretty deep water. He would have drowned if he fall, fallen off the seawall. So my brother-in-law walks down alone as like a toddler to this seawall, and my in-laws come out of the house looking for him, and they see at a distance this golden retriever tugging on him and preventing him from falling over the seawall and holding him there until wow. my in-laws can go and save his life. But um, you know, it's like I I, I wonder if it's like these ministering angels spring into action when they when they see danger ahead or something yeah maybe oh you know the other day and this is another story sorry i'm kind of no you're good um, i like stories i hope it involves (laughs) michael landon from 
No, it doesn't. Okay. It, it involves a it involves a janitor named Jerry. Um, mm. The other day, Stacy and I we were traveling down to Central Florida, and it's a long drive. So we about halfway, we decided to take about a two hour break at the spring, and allow, allow the boys some time to swim in the spring and eat lunch and stuff there, and kind of stretch our legs. And so we're getting on the road, and I'm packing the boys up, packing up all our stuff, and Stacy's like, "Oh, I want to go fill up this my water bottle one more time at the water fountain over at the bathrooms." So I'm waiting in the car, and um, no kidding, she comes out of the, the, the bathroom with her water bottle full, and the janitor was about to walk in. He looked like he's maybe in his 60s, early 70s, latest. And I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I've got all the boys buckled up. i got a dog in the car with me. It's hot outside, and she strikes up a conversation with this guy. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. We're all <laughs> waiting to get back on the road here, and I've got a three-hour drive ahead of me. It's getting dark, and I don't want to be on the road for too late. And, okay, I'm not exaggerating. If you know Stacy, she mm. is the sweetest, will listen to everyone, and do yes. a really good job. And I'm, I'm like the opposite. <laughs> I'm like business only. Like I just want to say hi, bye, and then get back on the road. But no kidding, no exaggerating. I looked, at the, I looked at my watch when she started talking to this guy, the janitor. And 20 minutes later, she comes to the car and gets in the car. And I look at her, I'm like, it's been 20 minutes that you've been talking to this janitor <laughs> and we're all sitting here in the car. Well, so we get on the road, okay? And like, we get over that, whatever, I move on. And we get out on I-75 and we're getting near like Gainesville, Ocala. And my phone alerts me that there's bad traffic ahead and that it starts stacking up the time on our ETA. I'm like, 20 minutes are added, 40 minutes are added. I'm like, oh, oh no, no, what is going on? So we pull off on the side of the interstate, we go into Waffle House and um, we're going to get some supper at Waffle House. You know, I love me some Waffle House. Some grits Absolutely. And Amen. And the server comes up to me and she's like, oh, yeah, it's backed up because there was a high speed chase that went through here about 20 minutes ago. And it, several cars are involved in a crash and they had to flight line somebody out. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be backed up for a long time. But Stacy looks at me and she's like, if I hadn't stopped and talked to Jerry, <laughs> we would have been in all of that mess. And I was like. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I was giving her grief for this. So I'm not saying Jerry's an angel, but I say all that to say, I wonder if that's sort of the role that some angels will take is that they delay us a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the book of Hebrews talks about how we're not supposed to neglect showing hospitality to people because in doing so, we've entertained angels unaware. Mm. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, insinuation within that verse that angels we've probably interacted with them as believers and not even known it right yeah. that that when we practice hospitality that when we stop and have conversations with jerry like your sweet wife did and you with your <laughs> cast iron heart just wanted to get back in the car and drive true. Um, true. that we're actually um allowing these ministering spirits to do their job and minister to us. It's an interesting mm. interesting thing to think about. There's another interesting passage that I think sometimes gets overlooked. It's in Acts 12 of all places, and it's the story of Peter. And he's um, he's touched by an angel, but not really touched. He's, he's kicked in the side by an angel. You remember this story? Mm. So mm-hmm. he's in prison. And Acts, he Acts twelve, you said. Yep. Acts twelve. Acts twelve seven. It says, uh, "Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him." Which I just think that's funny. Like apparently, angels to wake people up, they sometimes hit people. Anyway. Oh yeah. Uh, so the chains fell off his hands. The angel said, "Dress quickly, put on your sandals." He did so, 
And it basically talks about how this angel uh, sprung Peter out of jail. And the interesting part of this account happens in verse 13. Uh, The church in Jerusalem is praying for Peter as he's in jail. And he comes back to the house where they're praying. And verse 13 says, And he knocked at the door of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. Now watch this next part. And they kept saying, It is his angel. Mm. And here's what's interesting. In the first century, many Jews believe that guardian angels look like the people that they are assigned to protect. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So when Peter gets out of jail and he comes to the church who's praying for him, they say, that can't be Peter. Peter's in jail. It's his angel. Mm. Such an interesting interesting thing to think through. I don't know what that... What the, yeah, I wonder what the Greek the usage of the, there is if it's angelos. Yeah, so it's, it's angelos, it says... The, it's the angel it's it's the angel of him literally is how it's translated yeah um yeah that's interesting yeah so let's talk about that word that word angelos um it actually means messenger yeah so it uh really i think coincides with what angels do most often in the bible they announce things they announce jesus's coming they also play a role in his second coming like we've been talking about, they are messengers of God's protection, God's provision. Um, you talked about Revelation 16, where they pour out bowls of God's wrath. Um, but as we've been talking about, angels as messengers are acutely aware of, and they're involved in human affairs. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Peter getting sprung out of jail. Right, right. Right, where well, he kicks the, him on the side. The, the term... Angelos also uh, can be given and assigned to completely human individuals, like in Matthew eleven ten. That word is actually used to describe John the Baptist as a yes, messenger. Yes, interesting. So um, they, an angelos may lack divine qualities, such like John, you know, John the Baptist, um, which kind of, if you pull it back into the Hebrew and you look in the Hebrew Bible, that term malak means messenger, but it shares the same root as the word melek, which is a king. So it's missing one letter. That letter is the aleph, which is it carries with it divine connotations. So if you put the aleph in the word king, you get malak, which means an angel, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, yeah, it, it completely means a messenger. And, and sometimes human beings are called malakim or messengers. Yeah. That's interesting. Some attributes of angels, we've already briefly touched on this. They have free will, right? So they're not automatons. They are capable of sinning. Um, we see this in Jude 1 6, 1 Timothy 5 21. Um, we see Mark 8 38. Certain angels are referred to as the holy angels. Psalm 89 5 talks about the holy ones. So we see that there are angels that have exercised their free will and choosing not to sin and the bible calls them elect angels which there's a whole nother hmm. podcast topic about free will and election and all that stuff but that's an interesting concept they do have a free will um they are like us in some areas but they're not like us in others uh they don't grow old they don't get hungry so the whole angel food cake thing they don't 
eat angel food cake. <laughs> uh, they don't get tired. They're not subject to kind of this, uh, the, the, the material restraints that limit human activity. And so for the most part, they're completely invisible to us. So even going back to that passage in Acts 12, this angel is apparently able to get inside this prison. Um, he's able to do things that kind of defy the laws of nature and gravity. So it's kind of interesting how that works. We don't really understand exactly how that works. Um, they have great power physically. Revelation 7, 1 through 3, talks about angels that can control the wind. It's just a really thing, interesting thing to think about. Uh, we already talked about their sexuality. Their sexuality, in some instances in the Bible, implies that they have a type of sexuality, but in other instances it, it implies that they don't. Um, they don't marry, so that's an interesting thing to think through. They're not given in marriage. They don't marry, according to Jesus in Matthew 22. Do you think we'll never know the, the, the mystery of that? about angels' sexuality and angels, do they have gender, all that stuff, or is that just kind of, is that just one of those yeah. things that we'll never wonder, really know? Well, I think, I think um, we were talking about this the other day in our family, uh, why God created male and female. Like, it seems really impractical that he created, and many organisms in creation have to reproduce sexually and not just asexually. Why is that? And how that also can be used to disprove evolutionary theory. If, if, it's so impractical that there's a male and there's a female. Why would nature bring us to that point? Why would a, why would a creator give us male and female? And I think there's there's a lot of stuff you can go into about the learning the opposite sides and, and refining each other and, and doing that. But I wonder if, if angels, because they kind of predate the creation of Adam and Eve, if maybe that they were sort of like a, I don't know, asexual kind of entity. Yeah. That, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know. I can't even and, and grab I wonder, the right terminology yeah, for it. I, and I wonder this. I wonder if the reason in the biblical narrative they appeared to look like men is because of societally, if they mm-hmm. showed up looking like women. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, in, in those types of society, in kind of, you know, Old Testament Hebrew society, the role yeah. of a messenger, the role of something like that was typically male. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah, saying? very male, male-dominated culture. Right. Yeah, yeah, very likely. So angels are temporarily, in some aspects, superior to mankind in the sense that they have power and ability we don't have. Uh, they have superiority in the areas of longevity. We have a sequential residence on Earth, but angels have been experiencing kind of this continuum of existence in heaven even before the creation of man. Um, so they're not mm-hmm. constrained by the kind of restraints and necessities of time and space that, that we experience. So they're temporarily superior to us, but ultimately in the resurrection they will be inferior to humanity um, because it talks about in the book of 1 Corinthians how we will judge angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is an interesting Concept, because I, I love how the Bible. I don't know if you've experienced this when you you really get into studying. The Bible sometimes will throw these massive connotations and these massive concepts and in, into yeah. one verse, almost just like, oh yeah, well we know we're going to judge angels, and and you read it and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if a lot of that has to do with the fact that that was already rolling around in the the theology and imaginations of people at that time. Yes. And so it was almost like a given. 
and you know the Bible just you know the writers of the he of, of Hebrews or something will just make an allusion to it, knowing that people already understand that to be the case. But right, I think that happens too sometimes. But yeah, I know it's like you drop you like drop this one verse bomb, and you're like, wait a second, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole angels? the whole idea of judging angels, the whole idea of guardian angels, the whole idea of them thinking that Peter was his angel because angels looked like, in, in mm-hmm. at least in their minds, angels looked like the ones that, I mean, all of that stuff kind of goes back to that was already rolling around in their imaginations before yeah. it was recorded. Um, angels are not to be disrespected. You see this in many different places. Luke 10, 2 Peter 2, Jude 8 through 10, Romans 13. So they are to be respected. They are to be seen with a lot of reverence and honor. But yeah. angels aren't to be worshipped either. Um, yeah. Like we said, Revelation 19 and Revelation 22, John tries to worship an angel. Angel's like, quit it. Stop. <laughs> I'm not to be worshipped. Um, well, there's a prohibition, you know, in Exodus 20 that we will not make any representation of anything on heaven, in heaven or on earth. And rabbinically that was understood that we should not make a representation of any angels and with a purpose to worship them, which leads us to assume that we as humans have a propensity to worship angels because we can see them from time to time and interact with them that we say, okay, well, I'm going to, I remember what this angel looked like. I'm going to create, I'm going to recreate this out of wood or out of stone and then I'm going to worship it. So it seems like we do have a propensity to want to do that. Do, do you find any biblical support for praying to angels? No, I don't. I don't either. I don't. I, I see um, God being supreme and that he disseminates any sort of orders out based on our needs and our prayers out to um, his His angels to minister in those areas or protect us or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Answer this for me. Do we become mm-hmm. angels when we die? <laughs> not that I'm aware of. No, I've never died before, so I'm not sure. Um, oh, okay. Well, hey, I watched not... this wonderful movie called It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life. And, oh, gosh. And there's this guy named George Bailey. Have you ever seen this movie? Let me tell no. you. I'm going to tell you the whole plot. So there's this place called Bedford Falls, right? And this guy named George Bailey, and he's he's down on his luck. It's Christmas Eve, and there's this really evil old man named Mr. Potter. Have you have you sure you haven't seen it? No, I'm positive I have not seen it. Okay. okay. And uh, then he... he tries to end it all by jumping off a bridge but instead he's encountered by a, a, a wonderful little angel called Clarence that's it, that's how he talks and he's like what, what are you oh sure I'd get to I'd get an angel like Clarence that's how George Bailey talks for some reason we don't know why and then we find out that Clarence was 400 years old and he actually he well maybe not 400 maybe 200 anyway it's Wonderful Life talks about how Clarence died and then he became an angel. So maybe that's where people get that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it could come from like Greek mythology or something too, and it's crept into the Christian faith. Um, I mean, yeah. it can, can come from all kinds of different things. But should we yeah. get our should we get our theology from It's a Wonderful Life? Is that a good place to get our theology? No, oh, oh, don't get me started. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk as we uh, kind of as we kind of get ready to land the plane. What about fallen? Angels. We when we say demons and we talk about the demonic, a lot of times people aren't thinking about them having the same attributes as angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you really think about it biblically, demons are angels. They're just mm-hmm. angels who have chosen to rebel against God 
and be given over to their rebellion and sin. Yeah, yeah, and they're still malakim, but they're messengers of uh, guilt or condemnation versus messengers of hope and redemption. So yeah, they're still they're still very much, and they embody those roles. They still act in those roles as well. I believe they will. Yeah. Um, they will they will speak things into people's lives that are shame or guilt or condemnation or fear. Yeah. So the top-ranking angelic creature that was endowed with extraordinary honors, the Bible calls this angelic creature uh, Lucifer in Isaiah fourteen twelve. You gotta forgive me. There's hammering going on in the background right now. Yeah, I, I had a um, I had a duck in the last episode, and now you have. I know. Hammer. Yeah, uh, we're doing some work on our building right now, and there's a guy named Thomas who's a great guy. He looks like Barry Gibbs from the Bee Gees, and he's mm. downstairs, probably listening to "Staying Alive" and hammering on it. On it. <laughs> I wonder if so. Whoever's listening this far into this episode, <laughs> I think, I think they should email us, and we will mail them a cassette tape. Yes. Of all a compilation of all the background noises so far in every episode. Yes. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Thomas is just going to town on that. You hear it? <laughs> and it happens to be right underneath my office. That's crazy. What were we yeah. talking about? Okay, Lucifer, Isaiah 14, Lucifer. 12. So he was uh, apparently, according to the book of Ezekiel, the very model of beauty and, and symmetry. He was blessed with wisdom. He was adorned with all sorts of beauty and paraphernalia. He was the anointed cherub, but Lucifer, this this high-ranking angel, chose to rebel against God and chose to um, lead a third of the angels with him in rebellion against God. And we know this from Revelation 12. We know this from Ezekiel 28. We know this from Isaiah 14. We know this from 1 Timothy 3, 6. Um. Kind of an interesting backstory in the scriptures that's not really as explicit. There's not like a book of the Bible dedicated to the fall of Satan. You almost have to kind of mine it out and kind of hear what uh, the biblical narrative is talking about when Jesus says things like in Luke 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then uh, the vision in Revelation 9 is Satan is seen as a star fallen from the sky to earth. And I think it's important to remember that Satan, that word, is just a very generic Hebrew verb. It's actually not his name. Um, that mm. word Satan in Hebrew just means an adversary, and it's used all throughout the Hebrew Bible. It's used probably, if I had to guess, over 100, 200 times. And actually, it describes Yahweh, creator, um, in 1 Kings 11, he's described as being a Satan <laughs> against Solomon. Interesting. Um, that he, he raised up a Satan against Solomon. So that it's it's a very generic term, and we don't. I I think we only use Satan um, as a generic verb, the adversary, the one who opposes, the one who stands in the way. We use that term a lot as a way of indignation against uh, Lucifer, because we don't want to remember his name. We don't want to give him the credence that he deserves. He's just an adversary. So we kind of like sterilize his personification a little bit by just right. calling him Satan. Satan. Right. Or so it's kind of like saying the enemy, right? So right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of an unhealthy fascination, I think, with the character of Satan that some people get into. Mm. You know, what did he look like? What does he look like now? You know, we see, you know, visualizations of this 
you know, horned figure on a throne in hell, and we think that Satan's going to be ruling on a throne in hell for all eternity. But if you really read the book of Revelation, that's not really what we see. We see Satan is going to be punished in hell for all eternity. He's not going to be ruling over Mm -hmm. hell for all eternity. Yeah, yeah. And actually, when he first comes on the scene in Genesis, he's described as the Nachash, which could be translated as a serpent, but also could be translated as the beautiful one or the shiny one. Um, Hmm. It's actually the same word used for copper in the Hebrew language. Interesting. So, yeah, there is a very enticing element to Satan, um, a very beautiful and physically appealing aspect to him. Well, and the sin of Satan, more than, um, you know, having a pitchfork and setting people on fire and doing all these twisted, maniacal things, the sin of Satan... Really, if you look at the book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel, is pride hmm. of saying, yeah. I don't want to be under the authority of God. I don't want God telling me what to do. I want to be under my own authority. Hmm. And so the first temptation we see Satan bringing to humanity in Genesis 3 is essentially that that same type of mindset of you don't need to obey God or be under his authority because God is withholding something from you and he's not really good. Mm-hmm. And this is essentially the same repackaged lies that Satan and his, you know, philosophy, his his worldview, kind of um, injects into the world of you're your own god, you're your own master, you do whatever it is you want to do, and that's the only way to be free. That's the only way to be happy. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like the the lie of Babylon. Come, let's make a name for ourselves. Um, yeah, I think he can use us and seize our own emotion of pride um, to to make us think that we don't need a savior, and that's his ultimate goal. Yeah, there's a friend of mine named Eric Holmberg. Um, he he did a documentary series called Hell's Bells. Do you remember that document? It's like about the uh, super interesting. Anyway, it's on YouTube. No, you I can don't. find it. But and it's the the occultic influence on popular music. If you've ever looked it up, hmm. so. But uh, anyway, he's a, a scholar when it comes to, you know, the occult and the influence of the occult on popular music. And I, I asked him one time, I said, what is the most satanic song out there in popular music? And I thought he was going to say, you know, something by Ozzy Osbourne or something by Marilyn Manson or something. And he said, oh, that's easy. It's My Way by Frank Sinatra. Weird. I said, what do you mean? Wow. He goes, the whole song is essentially Satanism personified. I did it my wow. way. I, I did whatever it is I wanted to do. I played by my own rules. Yeah. And it's interesting to note that the Bible describes Satan as the prince of this world. And that's essentially what the world tells you is the path to happiness. Do it Do it your own way. Do, it, do whatever it is you want to do. You do you, man. And that's yeah. how you can be happy. And essentially that is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Yeah, I like the saying, uh, Satan doesn't need to get you to do what he wants you to do. He just needs to get you to do what you want to do. Wow. And yeah, he can fulfill his purposes with that. Yeah. So demons are essentially fallen, rebellious angels. So if you want to know the attributes of demons, just hit rewind about 20 minutes and <laughs> as we mm-hmm. talked about, yeah, um, you know, they, they have the same type of characteristics um but what's interesting is the bible kind of describes that some of these demons are already in hell some are roaming the earth seeking to influence humanity 
They're seeking to affect humanity and they're seeking to demonize human beings. So we don't really have that paradigm of demon possessed and demon oppressed in the Bible. We really just have the word uh, demonizado, which we could transliterate that just to demonize. Hmm. Um, in the Gospels, we see people that seem to appear to be demon possessed. We see that in the book of Acts as well where a demon literally inhabits their physical body and is controlling them to a certain extent. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's scary how much of that we see in the New Testament and how little of it we see in our everyday lives. Like, hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I just, um, we don't, we don't, it's, it seemed like, and I, I wonder if a lot of it is just, um, just because of time or because of our lack of insight into that or whatever the case may be it's but it's i don't know the answer i don't know what this means but um it seemed like that was very much at the forefront of jesus's healing ministry was it was almost coupled with exorcisms yes um and it seemed like almost one of his missions was to go around and free people from demonic oppression well Um, and i'll say this i don't know in uganda you and I have done ministry in the same place in East Africa and Uganda. Um, I've encountered demonic activity in Uganda like mm. I have not encountered it here in yeah. the U.S. Mm. I wonder why. Or do you think we're just, we just make ourselves... Do you, think, do you think in certain places they just make themselves more available to that? They just open I, themselves up? A- I, I think what it is is Satan uses different strategies and different tactics for different people groups and different mm. um, cultural mindsets. So over here, if you want to really examine the work of Satan, look at the pornography industry. Yeah. Look at how um, greedy we are. Look at how violent we are. Look at how materialistic we are. Look at yeah, how rebellious yeah. we are. Satan is doing very well in the United States of America in those areas. Yeah, that's interesting. So he, he may not be using the same strategy over here as he does in a place like Uganda. He uses the ordinary demonic. But in places like Uganda where they don't have the kind of media saturation that we have over here, they don't have access to things like pornography uh, like we have over here. So what does he do? He uses the extraordinary demonic. Um, so both are just as sinister and both are for the purpose of deceiving humanity to drag them to hell but it's different strategies and different tactics to do so that's just my viewpoint i don't know if that makes sense or not yeah that's an interesting theory yeah when i never get consideration that's yeah i like that that's interesting so like you said earlier that word how do you you say it correctly satan yeah satan yeah so it just means adversary just means enemy Mm -hmm. and so satan and his demons are enemies of god they're enemies of the people of God, but they are defeated enemies, and we have been given authority over them. So mm. let me let me read one verse to kind of if there's somebody uh, should we be afraid of demons? If you're if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been born again, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Is are, are, are mm. demons? You have to live in fear of demons, and you know you you stay in a yeah. hotel, and you're thinking, oh gosh, there's demons here. Like, is it something to be afraid of? No, because if we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then no, they have no power over us, and we should not fear them. Should we ignore them, and should we pretend that they're not there? No, absolutely not. But 
they have no power over us and they have no authority over us. Um, I, I don't know if we have time for a quick story, but there was a there was a, um, a friend of mine, Jim, who spent a lot of time as a missionary in China. And there's a lot of witch doctors and stuff who operate kind of under the radar in China. And he's, he's at this restaurant in China that's overlooking this waterfall. And he's there with a buddy of his. And he watched this man and a woman come into the restaurant and they sit facing the waterfall that's over, you know, this restaurant's overlooking this waterfall. And the, the, the man um, who ends up being a witch doctor puts the woman in a chair facing the waterfall and then stands about six feet behind the woman and starts thrusting his hands at the woman who has her back turns towards him. And as he's doing that, every time he thrusts his hands forward, she starts gyrating in her chair and like kind of convulsing in her chair. Like he's shooting bolts of electricity into her. And Jim, you know, Christian missionary is like, what is going on? And he gets up and walks over to the man and he's like, what are you doing to her? And the man says, I'm calling the demons out of the waterfall. I'm cleaning the demons and then putting him and putting the demons into her to heal her of her illness. Oh and Jim just starts busting out laughing. And the man is so, so indignant. And he's like, what? And he's like, he's like, you can't do that. You can't clean demons. You're just filling her with unclean spirits. Like you're already filled. So the, the witch doctor just can't believe any of this. And he says, he's like, you know what? I can call spirits into you and they can kill you. And Jim, my friend, he, he starts laughing and he's like, he's like, all right, let's, he's like, let's give it a try. So he walks over to the lady and he says, you know, tells the lady to get up and he sits down and he, he says he, he leans back and puts his hands behind his head and puts his feet and just kind of reclines in his chair. And he turns around to the witch doctor, man, who's standing behind him. He's like, I'm ready when you are, bud. Just let me know. And the witch doctor starts doing these things, you know, and put, start trying, and Jim's just sitting there, just chill as ever, just reclining. And Jim just starts laughing and just starts praying, you know. And, and wow. Jim eventually, after several minutes, stands up and looks at the man who was just frustrated all gets out, get out. And he walks with the man. He says, I am bought by the blood of the lamb. Wow. He's like, I am sealed and I have all authority has been, has been given over to me. To I have authority over those unclean spirits. And he's like, if you want the hope and the salvation that I have, I can give you that. And he leads the man to the Lord right then and there. Wow. He's born again and becomes, he disciples him, becomes a pastor of a house church in China, which is still operating to this day. Praise God. Dude, that's, a that's really awesome. Story. And that's... Jim, if you're listening, I hope I didn't botch the story. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, I think, yeah, I that's think... A... yeah, I, I mean, say, I... That's, that's the kind of boldness we should have when we approach these things. We shouldn't Absolutely. ignore them. We shouldn't, we shouldn't disrespect the fact that they are there. But yeah. we should not have fear because we have authority over those things. If if you are born again, absolutely, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Well, First John four four says this: "Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them." And that is in reference to the evil spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So I mean, that's just an interesting concept. If you have the Holy Spirit of God because you've been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, you are inhabited by a superior being. And it is not an angel you're inhabited by. You're inhabited by the creator of angels, the spirit of the living God. And so any demon that tries to come against you, you have power and you have delegated authority from Jesus to resist the devil. And the book of James says, if you submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. He has to. Interesting stuff, Gabe. You yes. uh, you you're you're very smart with these kind of things, man. 
Oh, I'm I'm really not. I just listen to a lot of smart people. But well, you you could you. be completely <laughs> making up all these Hebrew pronunciations on the spot, and uh, I wouldn't yeah. know. So you've got me fooled. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's a really interesting topic, and I'm glad we spent some time talking about it. I will. Um, I think you know I, I learned some things in this. I hope our I hope our listeners did as well. Um, yeah. A, a lot of what we can see, this physical realm that we're living in, is just a tip tip of the iceberg when it comes to reality. It's a small fraction of what reality really is, and the unseen realm um, is so much more vast and active than what we give it give it credit. And I think that's one of the strategies, the greatest strategies of our enemy, Satan, Satan, is uh, to convince us that he's not active, to convince us that there isn't a war going on. Because if he can just get us to sit on our butts on the sideline and not engage in warfare, then uh, he, he, you know, that's an enemy combatant he does not have to face. Absolutely. And the Bible says the weapons of our warfare, so that means we actually are in a war, mm-hmm. whether we want to admit it or not. They're not flesh and blood. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I think one of the greatest weapons of our warfare is fasting and prayer. Yes. Um, you know, and, and um, offering praises and petitions to the King of Kings um, so that he, he would know our petitions and then he can dispatch his warriors where they need to go and minister in the ways they need to minister. Um, but I think that's a powerful weapon at our disposal that we don't use and we don't give it enough credit. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure people will have plenty of questions. And so um, if you have <laughs> questions about this topic, which uh, I really hope you do, um, because, man, I have a lot of questions about this topic too, but um, you can send us your questions and we may even do a follow-up episode on this if we have enough questions to really tackle it. But uh Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for being gracious with us as uh, Thomas is downstairs with a sledgehammer swinging against a metal pipe for no apparent reason. So I don't, if you're listening, Thomas, uh, (laughs) thank you for all the hard work you do on our buildings. And uh, I hope you're not doing that just to troll me and ruin this podcast. But anyway, thanks for putting up with the background noise. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening and and, uh, let us know your comments and feedback and suggestions on topics you want us to talk about in the future yeah we could spend a lot more time on it's a wonderful life too and and michael landon from little house on the prairie and highway to heaven if we need to so anyway all right thanks for listening guys keep it real bye well thanks for listening that's our show if you like what you've heard make sure to give us a share leave us a review Or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.